Thank you for listening to Christ Through the Ages. In our first lesson in the series intended to lift our spirits, to fix our eyes on him, we saw Jesus' divinity, his eternity, because he is the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega. And his coming into the world, the incarnation, marks the beginning of the age to come. We don't have to wait till the very end. The new age is dawning even now. So the world to come is breaking in. The future is breaking into the world that is. Then in the second lesson, we looked at the eternal plan effected at the perfect time because of God's wisdom and his love. He prepared our redemption through Christ from the very beginning of time. And Christ is thus the origin of history. He's the meaning of history and he's the end of history when ultimately God will be all in all, 1 Corinthians 15, 28. Then in the next three lessons, uh, our purpose was to see how the Old Testament reveals Christ. Because as Jesus said, all parts of the scriptures, the Old Testament, show him. And so we looked at his visibility in the law. We focused on Genesis, but we could have spent just as much time in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then Last time, we looked at how Christ is visible in the prophets. Again, we could have spent plenty of time looking in Ezekiel or Hosea, or uh, you can pick the prophet. But we actually focused on Zechariah as a book of prophecy that is very much in the background of the Passion Week, from the time Jesus enters Jerusalem, the triumphal entry on the donkey, um, up to his death. It's very much in the background as Zechariah 9 to 14 describe a shepherd king who will be a universal ruler and there's so many points of contact with the Gospels. Now, we want to look at Christ as visible in the third section of the Old Testament, the writings. Now, just as uh, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet, uh, particularly with reference to the Messiah, so Psalms is the most quoted book in the New Testament and in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But we're not going to be looking at Psalms because last year, I recorded a lot of lessons on Psalms, and so did a friend in the Philippines. We have 18 podcasts on the Psalms, and a number of them also point to Jesus. We could look at Proverbs, because Jesus is portrayed in the Gospels as a wisdom teacher, and Proverbs, of course, is wisdom literature. Jesus is also portrayed as wisdom incarnate. Uh, There's something about uh, uh, the Word Uh, You can make connections between John 1 and Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9. Uh, We could actually get a lot of mileage there, but I thought, no, we're not going to do that. I thought of 1 and 2 Chronicles. Chronicles are different to Samuel and Kings because they focus almost entirely on David and Solomon. And, you know, people hope for the second, the new David to come. Solomon was a bit of a disappointment, to be honest. And so the Jews continued to look uh, to a greater son of David, a greater David. And there are many prophecies that say that he would come, like Ezekiel 34. But in First and Second Chronicles, uh, uh, all the kings are measured against the standard of the golden age of David, David and Solomon. And it's really all about messianic expectation. These are some great books. And these are also the books with which the Old Testament concludes, at least in the Hebrew or, order of things. We could look at Ruth. Ruth uh, you may, may be surprised I've mentioned that with reference to the Messiah, but it's another one of the books that's in that third division of the Hebrew Scriptures. Boaz spreads a corner of his garment over Ruth. He redeems her. He marries her. Think of the parallels between Christ and the church. Christ has groomed the church's bride. Boaz as Ruth's kinsman redeemer. 
Oh, there, there are quite a few parallels. That would be a fun thing to explore. Or we could look at Esther, who saves her people. We could look at Job. In fact, there are Messianic passages in Job, just as surely as there are in Isaiah and Jeremiah. But So it's not just the law and the prophets that speak of Christ. It's also this third division, the writings. Uh, in the Old Testament Apocrypha, now these were books that for a short period of time, the Jews viewed with high regard, and they were generally included within the covers of the Bibles, these extra-canonical books. They were certainly pressed into service by the Jews, and because they meant so much to the Jewish people, the Christians also used them to try to uh, clarify who the Christ was. And if you've never studied this, I would particularly point you to Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2. Okay, where I wanted to land was Daniel. And you may say, foul, Daniel's not the writings, that's a prophet. Well, actually, that's not so. Because in the Jewish canon, Daniel does not belong to the prophets. He belongs to the writings. In, in some ways, Daniel, he's kind of a combination of, uh, of a wise man, a sage, so, thus it's wisdom literature. And yet, as you get farther into Daniel, particularly from chapter 7 on, it's more apocalyptic. That is, it's more like the book of Revelation or parts of uh, Zechariah or Ezekiel. So, Daniel's where I would, what I would like to focus on. And just a couple of passages. Now, the point I'm making is really quite simple, that this third division, the writings, all point to Jesus. And in fact, if that's the case, then all parts of the Old Testament point to the Christ. Takes away our excuse, makes it easier to believe, gives us, uh, I think, some meat to really think about. So I'm going to be reading in Daniel 7. And we have these incredible visions uh, and beasts and uh it would take a series of classes to clarify all this. I want to zoom in on the Messianic uh, part beginning in verse 9 of chapter 7. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. See, this is this amazing judgment scene. We've got God here, the Ancient of Days and thrones and books. And it's, uh, you know, there's going to be an accounting one day. There is certainly a judgment. Look what happens next. Then I continued to watch because the boastful words, the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, its body destroyed and thrown to the blazing fire. So here we have the empire that dares to oppose God because God is sovereign. And often empires are rec uh, represented by beasts, by animals. And this one is thrown into the fire. Um, interestingly, uh, it's destroyed. He's slain. He's killed. The body's destroyed. Then it's thrown into the fire. In Revelation, you may have the beast uh, thrown into the fire alive and he's destroyed there. But, but either way, you have the destruction of God's enemies. And then in verse 13, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, often Christians look at this and they say, oh, well, son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. It's a second coming. But it's not. Well, it's certainly true that second coming imagery is connected with uh, clouds of heaven. Uh, we can see that kind of imagery in Revelation, First Thessalonians. But here, the immediate context is not, it's, it's a judgment, but it's not the end of the world. This is the one like the Son of Man coming into the presence of the Ancient of Days. And this is what Jesus refers to when he's on trial, that night trial, nighttime trial before the Sanhedrin or part of the Sanhedrin, right? You know, they ask him if he's the Messiah and he says, yeah, you'll see me coming in on the clouds. Basically, he's claiming divinity. I mean, no one shares sovereignty with God. Only God could do that. And this figure... The Son of Man comes with the clouds of heaven, but it's not the second coming. It's the Messiah coming into God's presence and reigning with him. Because it says in the very next verse, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. And so Jesus is the king. He's vindicated. His identity is verified. His life and message are, are substantiated by virtue of his resurrection. You'll see thinking like that in say, the first few verses of Romans. And he's reigning with God. He's on the throne. He's on the throne now. And it says in Acts 2, I believe it's verse 30, he sat on the throne, the throne of David. In other words, he is the Davidic Messiah. And because of that, the Spirit's been poured out. 33, Acts 2, 33. So he's on the throne. That's what this is about. It's about Christ's enthronement, being recognized as God's son and heir and king. It's not the second coming, okay? That may be a surprise, but it's highly messianic. And then another messianic passage that's quite famous, but really hard to interpret, I think, it's in Daniel 9. And I put it in the notes, and you can look at it on your own time, but verses 24 to 27, I think these verses are quite difficult to interpret. Many people want to figure out what the numbers mean, what the sevens are, and so forth. It's difficult to interpret, but it certainly does refer to the Messiah and the covenant the Messiah being cut off or killed, Jerusalem being destroyed. And Jesus did predict the destruction of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was destroyed 40 years after, after he was killed uh, in the year 70 AD, the Roman armies. So that, that may be another passage of Daniel you'd want to look at. And there's some other cool stuff in chapter 12. But uh, the passage I wanted us to look at was in Daniel 7, the one we've been looking at. Once again, Daniel speaks of Christ. No surprise, all the books in Division 3 of the Old Testament uh, point to Christ in one way or another, because all three divisions of the Old Testament point to Christ. The scriptures of the Old Testament point to Jesus. Now, what we want to do in this series is get as soon as possible into the New Testament. And I want to show, uh, I want to demonstrate different things the Spirit wants you and me to understand about Christ as we go through the books of the New Testament. I was going to go through the Gospels first, starting with Mark, because it's the oldest, and then we'll go with the letters in Revelation. But before we make the jump from Old Testament to New Testament, I want to do one more podcast. And this would be, well, it'd be answering a question. Uh, why, why did so many Jews follow Jesus, but so many didn't? So many didn't. And I've entitled this lesson, First Century Judaism, Many Flavors of Messiah. And that will be the next lesson in this series.